0: Ah, I just woke up, don't tell me it's time already, another episode? Welcome back to your 12th favorite podcast, Re-Educated, where we reimagine, rethink, and reinvent education. It's your host, Gotham Yagopin, alive and blessed to present today's conversation. Stay thirsty for knowledge, and I guess water too. Hello, hello, welcome back. It is your host, Gautam Yegapin. I am really excited to bring today's conversation to you. I hope you are all having a phenomenal week. I, before we getting to the podcast, I wanted to shout out this book that I just finished. Um, it's by Viktor Frankl called Man's Search for Meaning. And, you know, I feel like growing up, there was this certain ego attached to reading. Where I was like, I want to read all the books that possibly exist. And I want to walk around and tell everyone I read all the books. And, and I want to kind of just show off this, br- this extremely large lexicon of books that I've read. And, you know, over the last few months, last years, I've realized, especially because when you have a mediocre memory, which I think I have you end up forgetting a lot of the things that you've read in the past either you know characters um, ideas points and, and so it's not all just stuck in your brain as you would like it to be and so it really made me rethink why i read and so now i've come to this place where half of the reason i read is because i really enjoy that silence time for my brain to be able to kind of conversate with myself in many ways I feel like I have a companion in, in all my traveling and, and especially when I'm alone on the road I, I find it to be really helpful to just have a book that I can kind of bounce ideas off of and I never really felt unheard when I have a book with me. And I guess the other reason I read is because it always just keeps my ideas fresh. Every time I read a book I'm like oh okay I have a new idea to ponder upon today or have a new character to relate to and maybe see the world through their lens and so it always keeps my perspective fresh. And I say that to say that I have moved away from reading for novelty, which is reading as many different books as I possibly can for breath and Focusing more on depth now where I'm like, I want to reread books. What new things am I going to find out this time? What relationships will I make with characters that I didn't make the first time? And so I find that this book in particular is a phenomenal rereading book. So basically, Viktor Frankl is a psychologist who went through the holocaust and survived. He he went through four different concentration camps and as a psychologist the whole time he was really just understanding how do human beings perceive and conceptualize and get through suffering. And I find that for someone who was placed into the situations that he did as was and also didn't have any control over those things I feel like a lot of his insight that he has is extremely profound especially when it comes to people who have to deal with some sort of struggle which I think everybody goes through in phases throughout their life and so you know some of the other books I wanted to just shout out I've been writing writing down some books that I want to keep rereading but I just finished The Alchemist I feel like that's a phenomenal traveling reread book I think Man's Search for Meaning is a phenomenal book, especially when people are feeling purposeless, where they're like, I don't really know what I'm doing with my life. I think it's a great book that takes, moves the attention. I, a lot of what therapy talks about nowadays is, oh, look at what happened, you, what happened to you when you were a child. And it kind of moves the focus away from your past into the future in that, no matter what happened in your past, what are you going to do with your future? What are you going to do with your day-to-day? How are you going to lead a life that, that you find worth living? And and he very much argues that those the answers to those questions are not in the past. And I really find that that outlook refreshing in today's day and age. Another book I have on there is Life of Pi. I love that book. I haven't read it in a while. I need to come back to that. Um, there's this uh, also the book called Brave New World. If you have any other suggestions that you love rereading, please give it to me and and I would love to read. I'm really excited to share this week's conversation, let's get to it now. So the focus for today is the US News College Ranking System, which is something I think we are all too familiar with. and. It is something that it had played a pivotal role in my life as I was in high school and choosing a college to go to and even to some extent when I chose the grad school that I wanted to go to. And I find that the impact that those ranking systems have on the students as well as the colleges when they make their own decisions is, is far too much in it, and it places too much weight on some arbitrary rank. In this book I'm reading right now by Jeremy Lent called The Web of Meaning. He provides this really good quote, if I can find it real quick. He says, you get what you measure. He says that it's from uh, organizational theory. And I think that's a phenomenal quote to really set in what we're talking about today. In that, when you say you get what you measure, what does that mean? It's that when you set some sort of measurement, that is the type of outcome that will start to be produced by the people around you. So the example that he gave is he talked about IQ. And he's talked about how for each decade, the average IQ has gone up by like three points. And he was like, how is this possible? If IQ is supposed to measure something intrinsic and the intelligence of a human, how can it increase at such a rapid rate? And so he says, you get what you measure. So as soon as you start measuring something, that's the outcome you start to produce. And so a really important ethical question we want to always ask is, Do we want to create such measurements for colleges where they all start to produce the same form of result is that what we're expecting from our higher education system so to delve a little deeper on this topic i was blessed to be able to speak to francie deep she is the senior reporter at the chronicle of higher education she covers topics in money in higher education as well as prestige She joined the Chronicle in 2019, and previously she spent a decade covering health and science, including funding for academic labs, for publications including Pacific Standard, Popular Science, Scientific American, and the New York Times. I think Francie shares so many interesting points in this conversation, and I hope you enjoy. Here you go. I kind of wanted to just begin by asking you broad questions of how did you get interested in talking about the U.S. news and the algorithm, and and what brought you there?
1: Oh, yeah. That's funny. Sure. Yes. So what I'm supposed to cover, my topic of coverage at the Chronicle is money and prestige. So rankings is a huge part of that. The U.S. News ranking, I mean, there are a ton of rankings, college rankings in the world, but the U.S. News one's probably the best known one. As you said, U.S. high school students are quite aware of it. Um, And a lot of times colleges will put it like in their strategic plans and stuff. They will often openly chase it. Um, So yeah, I, that's why I'm interested in it. It's because it's part of this money and prestige thing.
0: Mm. And so in your research and as you were studying, what were some of the biggest problems that you had come across?
1: There are a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, let's start with, we can start with big picture. Uh, I think a lot of, there's. I should, there's been a long history of criticism of the U.S. news rankings. And so I'm going to repeat some of these criticisms And so the big picture is like, what does it mean to be number one? You know, different students need different things from college and US News measures a sort of specific thing. And perhaps you are the type of student where this is a really good fit for you and things that are higher in the list are good for you, but perhaps that's not true of you as a student. Um, So that's one thing is, is, is that it sort of seeds the definition of what a top university is to U.S. news versus thinking about what the student themselves needs. I mean, really, I mean, that's I I, she, I guess that's like the foundation of mm. most criticisms of U.S. news rankings. Um, you know, beyond that, I suppose a lot of the U.S. news measures, they've been changing over time, but especially earlier, really measured um, sort of the wealth in the institution in many ways, both directly and indirectly. Uh, how much money a institution spends per student is a big part of the measure, where more is better, um, mm. which, as you can imagine, does probably bring really great benefits for students, more student services, more research done on campus. But it might mean that a university is like more expensive, which could be bad for mm. some students. Um, so I've already lost my train of thought. I didn't. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> I don't. yeah
0: so, uh, so one thing I, I wanted to ask you because you yeah. had mentioned earlier you said that there are multiple sources that kind of come up with these lists
1: yeah
0: why is it that u.s news kind of has the biggest prominence and it, and is there a reason for that
1: you no know, i think it's because it was one of the earliest ones it started mm. oh i hope i don't get this date wrong but i think it was 1983 they started um i'm sure there's some lists that predate that too but it was one of the earliest ones, and it just got big early. Mm. Um, and then so it sort of cemented its reputation as the ranker long before other publications could get into the game. Uh, yeah, I think that's why, mm. it's, why it's a big one.
0: Okay. And then for you know before we kind of moved on to some of the more technical things, I, I, I wanted to understand what are some of the metrics that are actually used in their ranking system did you come across some of those uh the features of their algorithm
1: yeah they're they're kind of them they do try to make them transparent to some extent mm. so you can like look it up online so i'm not going to remember exactly yeah. what the different things are but you can look it up uh but yeah there's there's like student to faculty ratio is a big one so how many mm. right with the assumption that, that a lower student to faculty ratio is better. How much money institutions spend per student, which could be good for students. Um, I think debt is now a part of it, which it didn't used to be. But that, I think, now like how much the average student takes on in mm. debt is, is a part of the measure. Uh, one measure that was quite controversial is SAT scores of incoming students. So that was a. a bigger part of the score earlier in its history. Um, The criticisms around that are that SAT scores are highly correlated with student family incomes. So, you know, as a ranker, you're sort of presenting it as, oh, we have, you know, good schools have high SAT scores of students coming in. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, the criticism is that all you're doing is measuring the privilege of the students coming in um, that doesn't necessarily mean like the college itself is doing a spectacular mm. job at educating them. These are things that would have done well anyway. um, under any circumstances. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So actually, the U.S. News has reduced the um, weight it gives to incoming SATs scores, so that's less of a problem than it used to be. Uh, but they still get hammered about that a lot. Graduation rates is something else that's in the rankings formula, which I think did not used to be in there Mm. again. That's something that us news, I think, put in to address these criticisms that the algorithm was really, um, previously, uh, focused on inputs versus outputs, like sort of who they're taking in versus what they do with the students to get them Mm. through and set them up for life. Yeah.
0: So I did the research. And I looked at how the college rankings were calculated by U.S. News. Um, I also wanted to say if my voice is sounding weird, my allergies have been killing me for the last few weeks. So I've been sounding different every day. I can't really expect it. So even from the beginning of the recording to now, my nose has gone through a few roller coaster rides. So we'll see how it goes. But so back to the calculations. Okay. I will also be attaching the link to the show notes if you're interested in looking later. But here are some of the biggest factors. We have graduation and retention rates for 22%, social mobility for 5%, graduation rate performance 8%, undergraduate academic reputation 20%, faculty resources 20%, student selectivity 7%, financial resources 10%. Average alumni giving 3%, graduate indebtedness 5%. Okay, so act the, so how they pick these weights, I think is where a lot of the interesting philosophical decisions come in. But I wanted to, there were some things that stood out that were not actually included at all in any of these. So, you know, working for the CEW, a lot of the stuff that we do is return on investment, for example. There is not a single data point here used for the average income for graduates so how much you actually make leaving the school is actually surprisingly not a part of this another one is the actual mental health of you know and i think this one is actually a little difficult to measure but at some point i think this is something that definitely needs to be calculated as well as measured for schools like you know, going to UCSD, in my experience, the mental health of a lot of the students there were awful, you know, it's everyone's on Adderall, everyone's studying 30-40 hours a week, and then kind of just like not really eating right, everyone's in the library all day, and, you know, even if they did make a lot of money leaving it, I think a lot of people left with serious problems that, that who knows how long they persist, and so, you know, actually measuring the mental health of students, and and even if you can't do that, Maybe measuring what resources are available for students so here they have financial resources per student but that just counts the number of money that's allocated what about measuring the amount that's actually used and and so there may be issues in how much of this information is actually available it's not to say that it is us, US news's responsibility to do all of this but it is to say that moving forward the more accountability we want these schools to have we should incorporate these into these measurements as well, which is not going to make them perfect, but it'll make them more holistic than they are now. So, my question is: Are people are the the critiques of the U.S. news more about the impact that it has on high school students and the way they make their college decision, or is the critique more on the fact that their algorithm just may not actually be right? So
1: there are, there are a ton of different kinds of critiques of the U.S. news, and those those are sort of two veins of them, um, right? That it's one, not necessarily great for every student who's looking for colleges and just trying to decide where they want to apply and where they want to go to. Um, and two, that this algorithm is, you know, weights factors in ways that the U.S. news editors think is good in, reflective of what's best for students, but depending on the exact student may not be. Um, Mm. Other criticisms that people have had of the rankings is that it just drives institutional behavior in ways that is not necessarily great for students. Um, You know, sometimes chasing rankings does line up with things that you would want to do anyway, and sometimes it doesn't.
0: So is that more of information we'd want to equip high school students with, as opposed to actually change the U.S. news? the ranking itself like is it more of like a societal shift in where people are using the data that is provided simply as like a another data point as opposed to like oh I'm going to use the U.S. News rankings as the only way I make my decision is that what we're trying to change more of or, or what, what would you say
1: yeah so I mean I think that's what U.S. News has tried to argue is that they are just one you know way of getting information about colleges that students should look up stuff on their own and said like if you are not from a super college savvy family like how are you going to know what else Mm. you're supposed to look up where else you're supposed to look there is great information out there the college scoreboard which is run by the u.s government um doesn't rank colleges but does give like a lot of data and stuff so you can sort of like if you're a student go in there put in what's important to you debt, certain maybe you want to go to school with like an architecture school whatever you can put in whatever you're interested in and, and it'll tell you about what schools match your criteria. Um, But yeah, so some people might say that what you want is more information for students and more nuanced information for students and families than what the U.S. News rankings provides Mm. or like have U.S. News rankings be like one small part of that. Um, You know, I think there are plenty of people who just don't want to see any rankings exist at all. Like don't want to see a list that's publicly available that says this university is better than that university i don't Mm. i mean you know in the end it's like is us news going to stop doing this like probably not so i don't know how reasonable but or practical of a goal that is but i think there's there are going to be people who want that too
0: Mm. yeah because we i had another conversation with uh, another person uh on my Uh, podcast and and we were talking about he had worked on return on investment findings so he had basically come up with a whole bunch of reports that were like all right this school and then he ranked they ranked the schools based on their return on investment and we had a similar conversation about this like what impact does this findings actually have on students and what he was arguing is that and exactly as what you said u.s news would say it's that this is just an, another data point, right? And it's important to just take it because it's, I think these ranking systems are helpful for accountability. I think without any form of publicly available data, if none of those existed, and I guess what, what you would, what, would you argue that maybe we don't need a ranking system per se, but it's still important to have the data publicly available?
1: So one interesting thing is that US News, the existence of the rankings really drove the the making of this data publicly available i think this kind of stuff graduation rates um those kinds of numbers i don't think were super available in Mm. like a comparable form for every single college in the us like in the 80s when US News started. Because of the popularity of the rankings, that kind of drove universities to put out more data. So they really, I mean, that is, I think most people would say, a really positive um, outcome Mm. for this, for higher ed. Um, But yeah, but then as for like, do we need rankings now that those data are available? um, Yeah, I think think there are going to be a lot of people who say no. US News, obviously, is going to say yes. (laughs) yeah
0: yeah and i guess the question i had is so a lot of your article was focused on how some of these colleges are actually possibly falsifying their data what were some of your findings regarding that
1: so uh yeah i would say it's i i don't think i don't feel like what i found was that most a lot of colleges falsify data that Mm -hmm. does happen there are scandals like every year like one or two colleges will get in trouble for falsifying stuff. But what I found is that what what is much more common is kind of like presenting the data in the best light possible, massaging maybe, I don't know if it's like too strong of a word to describe it. But basically, every, not every, most many measures in the U.S. news ranking rely on some person or people in a university reading the question, interpreting it, and then like figuring out the numbers for the university. Mm. So we can use an example, faculty to student, student to faculty ratio. So right. Seems straightforward, but like, actually, if you think about it, if you're at a college, who counts as faculty, like only full-time mm. tenured people? What about people like people who are not tenured, people who are... Just lecturers, people who are like have professional lives and like kind of teach a couple classes at a time. So there's a whole question of who's faculty Mm. and then who's a student. Like I got part time students. uh, Some student to faculty ratio calculations don't include like transfer students. You know, there's like different kinds of students that are on a college campus. Do they count in the ratio as Mm. well? So Okay, so I'm a person, I'm sitting in an office, I receive the US News ranking survey. I read what US News says they want uh, when it comes to defining student and defining faculty. And then and I have to go in my system where I track those things. Maybe I don't track them in the exact same breakdown as US News does and I that's like figure out how to translate my system mm. into their numbers. Also, I'm not only getting this survey from U.S. News, I'm getting it from the U.S. government is asking me this. Mm -hmm. Other rankers are asking me this. Again, they do the same thing. I take their survey, I look at my system, translate it to their... Anyway, so it's it's very complicated. There are, like, all these steps. And in each step, somebody's making some kind of qualitative decision, you know? And, like, even if... And perhaps we say that most people try to make these decisions in good faith, they're still going to like interpret things a little bit differently from the college next door, from the college across mm. the country. And then so you're going to end up with this faculty student student ratio. And are they really comparable between the schools? Um, what if I'm like the only person in my office who does this and I'm like really tired and I like sort of put in the same student faculty ratio for every survey, but they're not defined the same. Anyway, there's so you can see that there's a lot of mm. uh, room for errors in judgment or just different judgments that are not necessarily like wholesale making up data
0: mm.
1: uh but yeah but, are but prone still... to
0: error yeah no and, yeah, yeah. and so are all these results self reported
1: yes i think most of them are uh-huh. self-reported I didn't know that. yeah no i didn't either um but in a way sure like if you really think about it like how many like thousands of colleges there are like who's going out there like counting students on campus yeah yeah (laughs) only you you the institution you're counting your own students no one else is like cares enough to count your students so Mm. yeah
0: is there an auditing process at least in terms of these rankings
1: so the auditing is interesting the audits usually that occur are sort of an algorithmic thing where the us news for example will um check the numbers and be like see if your number you're submitting this year is wildly different from numbers you're submitting in years before Uh, um and that does serve as kind of a check most colleges don't sort of like turn things around so wildly that they're gonna like have like this huge difference between these numbers year to year that said like in the survey if you were like really motivated to lie all you have to do basically is check the box be like yes this is in fact the correct number that's it there's it's not a real like Fact audit It's just like the system will be like, hey, just this for you. This is really mm. different from last year's number. Um, and maybe you'd be like, oh, I guess I put in a typo. Then you can fix it and the system will let you through. Or you can say, no, I certify this is the correct number. And the system will also let it through um, even if you have bad intentions.
0: Mm. And I find with these these ranking systems, and I'm going to connect it to grades, I think the biggest problem is there's two ways to go about it, right? So let's say my focus in education is to learn as much as I possibly can. And simultaneously parallel to me is just some sort of like grading system that measures how well I'm doing. And I kind of learn from the grading system and and I can maybe do better if I want to or not. But I think what ends up happening is you start learning to get the grades, right? And I think that could also happen in this situation where if colleges are going to be strict to their virtues and their principles, and they just have this ranking system separate, that's one thing. But this, I think one danger of this is that colleges can start conforming so that they can do better on the ranking system so that they can get more students. Right. At which point all the colleges no longer have like their own identity. They're all kind of conforming to whatever the algorithm places as important. Do you, did you find that to maybe be a problem?
1: Yeah. I think that's a major, uh, criticism of the rankings that's arisen in the last 15 years or so. Yeah. That you, that colleges start conforming to the ranking versus their own mission. Yeah. Um, another problem with that is that colleges are very different from each other. They serve very different yeah. students and like, right, doing better in the rankings might be good for some specific universities and their specific missions and less so for others.
0: Mm. So would you say these, specifically the US News ranking, would you say it's holistic or, or no?
1: What do you mean by holistic? It does take into account a lot of things. That's true. Okay.
0: Okay. So I guess like what I meant to say is when you're ranking something, you have a kind of model or vision for what is best, right? And so I feel like as soon as you kind of describe that, there's no longer variability in what can be best. There is like one objective best. So I guess in that way, it can't be holistic, right?
1: I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. I see what you mean. Um, Yeah. I will say U.S. News, they do include many things in their algorithm. So in that sense, it does take into account like different things. But they do have in mind, right, they have in mind what they consider best. I think actually one interesting way of answering this is to look at the history of the rankings. In the very beginning, it was entirely reputational. Mm -hmm. It was they would just like ask university presidents, what do you think of other? What what do you think is the best other university? And they Mm -hmm. would answer and um, I think that really, you know, it's it's come a long way since then. But I think that sort of strain of what each other thinks is best is still there. You can still see it it's very present in the rankings. It is literally present in the rankings in that it's still a large part of them. It's like 20% or something of the, um, the final score is this reputational survey. But it also reflects, um, yeah, historically. U.S. News editors have been very clear about this, that their vision of best is, yeah, is expensive, is a place that can spend a lot of money on their students, is a place where the students that come in are privileged in the sense they have high SAT scores, they did really well in, uh, in high school, um, you know, they're original vision of best did not include getting students through who are first generation or like might otherwise have a tough time in college. It did not include how much you pay for it. Um, Even
0: graduation rates, right? Like what you said earlier.
1: Yeah. I don't think they had a graduation rate. No, they didn't have graduation rates early on. So, right. I mean, that's, that's the U S news view of best. I think it is a view of best that does, I mean, does match many families view of best as well Mm. you know it's not like Mm -hmm. this is like some insane (laughs) idea that it came out of nowhere like there there are plenty of families who believe this is also means Mm. best um but yeah but there are also plenty of families for whom that's not the best yeah
0: and so through writing this paper first i'm kind of curious how long did the process take to write it
1: that's a good question i don't remember a couple of weeks Oh, wow, that's
0: quick. Oh, So you you kind of turned through these pretty quickly.
1: Yeah. They're <laughs> wow,
0: that's awesome. So you just spend, I guess, the first couple of weeks full research, and then you start writing? Or what is your process like?
1: Mm, that's a good question. Well, so for rankings, I've been covering them for a while. And I've mm. done a lot of reading and interviews and stuff already on the rankings that just sort of didn't lead to stories. Um, so I had that background. And then, um, yeah, and then... I don't remember what happened with this particular story. I think I got the assignment from an editor to talk about this. Mm. Anyway, yeah, I guess generally <laughs> either I come up with a story idea or an editor does. And then write. I sit down and write down what I need to know to be able to write the story. And then I put out requests for interviews. I do whatever reading I need to do. I do the interviews. And then I write, yeah.
0: Very cool. And so I guess you, what I wanted to ask you is, is through your research and then your interviews, what are some possible avenues to doing better? What are some things that we can do better moving forward?
1: Oh, hmm. you know, I don't know if I asked anyone this specifically, but let's see. You know, if we had better education for students and families about how to choose a college, what mm. data is already out there, how to match what you need. Out of college um, to what data is out there and, and therefore how to pick. And that'd be a big thing. Um, personally, I'm always surprised. Like colleges will say they hate the rankings, but then they participate, you know? Like if they just all refuse to send in data, that would take down US news real fast, but they don't. They've just been complaining about this for like 30 years without for stepping in. Oh, out. the
0: colleges are also complaining about this.
1: Oh, colleges complain. About, yes. No colleges. I mean, when I talk about like criticism of the U.S. news, I'm not talking about students and families, most of whom I think are like, fine, this is U.S. They, I don't know if they have specific criticisms. These are like people in, within higher ed, like within mm. the sector. This is how people tend to feel about it. Um, that are, they all like have this attitude, like oh, it's this terrible thing that like forces us to like chase the wrong goals. But then they participate, you know. Mm. Um they and I feel guess like I... they hmm?
0: sorry sorry continue. I say
1: they feel like they have to because, of, well, everyone else is participating. So if we drop out, then it's gonna like harm us. Mm. But again, like if they just all just like the Ivy Leagues, if the Ivy Leagues decided as a league we're not gonna send anything to U.S. News, like that would undermine the whole Mm. project
0: and as that draws us to our end of our conversation there was a lot of really interesting points that i think this conversation just brought up in my eyes and in my head i guess not my eyes but the big one is look as students and families and traveling through europe i'm talking to a lot of people about college and understanding how different of a financial burden it is to go to school here is actually insane it's it's a decision that does not take you know 20 15 30 years to pay off it's a decision that you know you're not actually like stepping into this hole of indebtedness for many many years you know and i think that that takes off a lot of the pressure in making the decision to go and you can kind of enter with a more free headspace. But that being said, right, so in America, when it is such a large decision, it is extremely important that we have all the information that we possibly can before making such a financially heavy decision. And so what are ways that we can actually uh, help students and families make that decision, right? So, So these rankings can be approached from two ways they're in one way a really good way to hold colleges accountable so hey if you're not going to perform at a certain level that's going to actually impact you and people will be very aware of it right as opposed to before these rankings you can kind of just do whatever as long as you're able to convince a few people that they should spend their money at yours whether you actually produce or not it can't be measured at all and so in that way i would argue that at that point it was purely just can we get people to come, there was no accountability. So now there is some accountability, which is phenomenal. And now there is also some information that families can use to make their decisions. So where exactly is this problematic? And there's a few ways. One, if every student starts making their decision purely off the ranking of the school on these websites, I find that oftentimes when, you know, after they graduate, they may not have a job or they may realize how much they actually spent and, and they won't actually be able to pay that back for a long, long time. Then that number on that ranking no longer matters, right? If you're that much in debt and, and you're like, all right, but I went to the number three school for my program. Okay. And then what? Right. So you know, having more information or, or in the same length, let's say you leave with an alcoholism problem or you leave with, you know, there's so many things that, that can be introduced in a college environment that is just not helpful for the development of hu- a human that, you know, just because it, it ranks highly on some on someone else's metric is not enough. And so I find that what we can do, all of us can do is is one, always ask the question of, what are these rankings actually built of? And, and you know, when, when Francie said you can just search it up online, she's right. They give a pretty detailed description of what is used. And so we all have access to that and, and you can always use that. Next, what else can we do? Another thing that we can do is. When we make the decision to go to college, really ask the question, what is it that I want? I think it's important to be intentional about this decision, as it's not the same country to country. In some cultures, it can be totally acceptable to just expect students to go to college where it's affordable. But in the States, that is not necessarily the case. By simply expecting students to go to college, I think we're going to make a lot of people make decisions that financially are just not feasible for them. And so really asking what is it that you want out of these four experiences and how can you get it is what you want does it have to be gained in a university setting can it be gained elsewhere can it be learned online can it be learned through friends or or you know through some boot camp near me here and and so really asking what is it that i want and then can the city like so i think we talked about this a previous episode um you know asking the questions oh in the last episode actually asking okay based on the college what city is it located in what type of people work and live in that city what is the international relationships there what is the you know if you're you're coming from a minority population or even know what is the diversity of like in that city and in that school what are the resources available if i'm into sports if i'm into drama whatever do they have facilities and access to that what is the food like you know these things even though they may not seem to be a big deal they really make a difference And so some of the best ways to get access to that information is to just reach out and talk to people who go to that school. I think that's the best way. I think when you look online, everyone who talks about a certain school is just going to tell you the best things. But to really get like the what is actually going on, I think, you know, you have to reach out either through LinkedIn, through some sort of school network. And I think that's another thing that can really be worked on, especially from a high school perspective, is connecting counselors two students who have gone to these other schools and and even you know having some sort of alumni network in high school where it's like oh okay you want to go to this school i have these six students who went there i will connect you with them really ask them what it's like they don't need to sell you on it they need to actually answer questions that you want to know so these are just some ideas i think the big question is how do we get a more holistic view from the student and parent perspective of what a school has to offer and then from the other side you know and then i think this is a really in a deep philosophical question of what is the impact of metrics what is the impact that measurements have on the actual production of something Right? once you hyper if, hyper value a measure The measure has complete control over you. If what you measure about intelligence is the SAT score, then the SAT score has control over you. And in the same way, if what colleges value is the U.S. news ranking, then the U.S. news ranking has power over them. So finding that balance between, okay, we do need to perform well because we do want to be held accountable. But at the same time, we are a university. We are at the forefront of thought and we are at the forefront of culture. And therefore, we must also have, you know, full mobility of what we want to do. So I think balancing those two is extremely important as well. But, you know, I guess what I'm learning from this podcast is for every question we have, we are leaving with 10 more. And that's the beautiful part about this. But thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions, please feel free to email me, uh, message me on LinkedIn. I hope you have a great week. Here's to being reeducated.